Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to our friend Laura Vanderkam. She is the author of several time management books, including the brand new Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. Laura hosts the Every Weekday Morning podcast, Before Breakfast, and she also co-hosts the podcast Best of Both Worlds with Sarah Hart Unger. Laura lives outside Philadelphia with her husband and five children. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. We have had you on before with your podcast co-host, but I think we said at the time, way before, we now know Laura in real life, but way before we ever met you, Amy has been a Laura Vanderkamp devotee. I mean, I remember her talking about your books. I mean, you really light up Amy's, uh, what do you call them? Neurons? The centers of my brain, my productivity centers. The productivity centers. She's into the productivity, yes. I met Laura because we our first books came out at the same time in 2010. This is what, your like seventh book, Laura? How many books have you written? Something like that. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm working on my second book. It's going to come out just like 13 years after my first one. That's why Laura's the productivity expert and you're not, Amy. So I tip my hat <laughs> to true. Laura. That's right. So we know you as a time management expert productivity writer. And so what made you in this book want to turn your focus to this idea of tranquility? Yeah, well, I mean, I work with a lot of people who are productive, ambitious, you know, the people who get stuff done, like Amy does. But many people, you know, kind of feel like life is just this constant to-do list, right? You know, each day is absorbed with the preparation for the next day. You get through the things you have to do, and then you do it all over again. And there's this sense sometimes that life is not as fun as it should be, that we are not necessarily appreciating the good moments that do happen. And so I wanted to focus a little bit more on how we could make life feel sustainable and joyful even in the midst of all the chaos that comes from having a busy life, from having a lot of responsibilities, whether that be at work, at home, or both. And, you know, how people in those busy years can make time for fun, can have the energy to handle their responsibilities and have things in life that they are genuinely looking forward to. 
And just so we know that we're talking to a true expert, tell us a little bit about how many kids you have, what projects you're working on, and you can mention a pet as well. A pet as well, yeah. Well, fortunately, the pet is not usually my responsibility. My husband is the one who really wanted the dog, so the dog is kind of his baby. We have five other babies. We have five children that range in human babies that range in age from uh, 15 to 2. So we kind of got all stages simultaneously that we're doing both potty training and driver's training simultaneously. So that's quite an experience. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Bless your heart, as they say in the South. Yeah. And so then, you know, professionally, I, I write and speak about time management, do a lot of speaking for various places, write my books, have the two podcasts. Uh, so yeah, that's what occupies my time. Also home renovation project. Let's throw that in as well. Well, that is mostly done. We still have some stuff going on. Yeah, my husband and I, during the pandemic, we did so many cliched things. I mean, we got a dog. We bought and renovated a historic house, mostly because we had outgrown the old one when the fifth baby was born right before the pandemic started. And then we were all on top of each other for a long time. But we, you know, felt we needed to get him out of sleeping in the closet eventually. So we purchased a house. And in order to get enough space for all of us in this area, you kind of had to go with the old homes. Like nobody builds homes for families of seven anymore. So, you know, we either custom build with all that involves or bought an old place, renovated it, took about a year, moved in at the beginning of January of 2022. And, you know, there's still some boxes in the hallway. I will give you that. My time management does not extend to getting all of that done immediately. But I have high hopes that by the time 2023 rolls around, the boxes at least won't be visible anymore. So that's the goal. It seems like the idea of tranquility. I've been thinking about this a lot that does being more productive make you more happy? I think like Gretchen Rubin would argue, yes, it does. I kind of think it does for me. But being tranquil, some other people might say, okay, if you want to be tranquil, then don't worry about renovating a house. Don't, you know, have one kid instead of five, right? One book instead of 10, right? Like, and nap more. Like, that's how to be more tranquil. But it seems like you're getting out, you can have both, right? This is another approach. Yeah, this is another approach, which is that... I think life is more fun when we have a lot of things that we enjoy. And I recognize that people are different. And there are some folks who really appreciate having a lot of open space. But if there are things beyond the, you know, just one thing or another that you wish to do, I do think it is possible that these things don't have to be at odds. One of my core messages of my time management work is that if you do want to raise a big family, if you do want to have a career, if you do want to make time for your own projects and hobbies, all these things can fit in the 168 hours we have each week. They can fit and some open space can fit too. But in order for that to happen, we need to be mindful of our choices. And to me, productivity is about making sure that our precious time is devoted to the things that matter to us and that we don't spend a lot of time on the things that don't matter to us. And so by that definition, I think productivity is entirely tied up in happiness because you want to spend time on the things that are joy inducing in your life. And, you know, spending a lot of time on things that are not would not meet the definition of productivity at all. I think there's something of a misnomer that it is, you know, only doing work, right? Or it is only doing chores, you know, chores and work, that's fine. We probably have to do some of them, but that's not all we have to do in life. 
What when you've talked to so many people for your research for this book and other books, what would you say you see are the common themes for things that are keeping people from having time to be tranquil or time to pursue the things that really matter to them? I think it really is the fact that time keeps passing no matter what you do with it. (laughs) Seems obvious, but also very profound. Like, oh, right. And because of that fact, which is what makes it so easy to spend time mindlessly and to not have a good sense of where our time is going. I mean, it's as if All your money was just like burned at the end of every day. I'm not sure how many people would be very good at budgeting if that were the case. There's just, we make more mindful choices with certain things than we do with others. And, you know, and I always say, like, you start a week in 168 hours, it will have been filled with something, whether you make active choices or not, it's going to be filled with something. The question is just what? And I think that by making mindful choices about what we fill the 168 hours of a week with, we can get ourselves, you know, much closer to the life we want. So it's not that there is one specific thing like, oh, everyone spends too much time on email, or we're all streaming too many shows we don't care about. You know, there's all sorts of things that people manage to waste time doing. But ultimately, the biggest waste is not by asking what you want to do with your time and to be this sort of more passive recipient of what life throws at you as opposed to actively planning in what would be meaningful for yourself and the people you care about. And does research show, this also seems obvious, but I want to ask the question, does research show that people who are more intentional about filling their lives with what they want, do they report getting done more of what they want than people who sort of just play it as it lays? I'm not sure exactly how that question, how we would study That question, what I do know is from Tranquility by Tuesday, I did do a research project, which is that I had 150 people follow these nine rules that are about actively planning in what you want to do in your life and making space for the things that matter to you and planning in time and making some other sort of wise time choices. And I found over the course of the nine weeks that people's time satisfaction scores, as I measured them from time to time, It rose to a high degree of statistical significance. I mean, people felt quite better about their time at the end of the project than they did at the beginning. They felt they were making more progress on their professional goals. They felt they were making more progress on their personal goals. They felt they were wasting less time on things that didn't matter to them. So those were all sort of key findings that came out of the project. We are talking to Laura Vanderkam, the author of Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. And we are going to start drilling down on these rules when we get back from this break. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so in your book, Tranquility by Tuesday, you talk about nine rules. And you had people try these nine rules for how long? I can't remember. Well, each week they would learn a new rule. So over the course of nine weeks, you know, you learn a rule, you answer questions about how you plan to implement it in your life. A week later, I check back in, ask you questions about how it went. And so people would answer these questions. And then as this was going on, I was measuring them on various dimensions. You know, how much do you agree or disagree with statements like yesterday, I had enough energy to handle my responsibilities or yesterday I made progress on my professional goals or yesterday I had time just for me and so on. Like that was how we did it. All right. Let's start with the first rule. First rule is give yourself a bedtime. Walk us through it. So this is a foundational rule. You know, it is very hard to make good choices, to have enough energy to handle your responsibilities if you are feeling sleep deprived. I mean, that is a very true statement, as everyone knows. <laughs> you haven't slept well. It's the everything feels harder. Everything seems to take twice as long. You are less happy about all of it, even if you have good things on your schedule. So we want to make sure that we're getting enough sleep. But what I've discovered over the years is that when people keep track of their time and keep track of their time for a week or so, most people are, in fact, getting enough sleep from a quantitative perspective, which is always surprising because, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not sleeping enough. I'm sleep deprived. You know, people think they sleep very little amounts on a typical night. But what's happening is that people are often even either undershooting or overshooting the amount of sleep they need. So the beginning of the week, you know, people have slept in on Sunday morning, so they can't fall asleep Sunday night. Monday morning, they have to be up bright and early. So they start the week with a sleep deficit. Maybe Tuesday night also has a sleep deficit, but then your body starts to force you to catch up. So people crash on the couch while watching TV. They fall asleep while putting their kids to sleep. They sleep through their alarms. They hit snooze four times and so on it goes. And then weekends, they you know, also spend catching up and paying off this sleep debt. And what this means is that some days you're exhausted and some days you can't maintain whatever good routines you have because your body has forced you to substitute sleep for other activities. So it's so much better to get the same amount of sleep every night. Whatever amount it is you need, you get that every night. And since most adults can't really change the time they wake up in the morning because there are certain times you have to be up to you know, go to work or to handle your family responsibilities, the only variable that can change is the time you go to bed the night before. And so I suggest people give themselves a target bedtime that is the amount of sleep you need 
before the time you need to wake up. So for me, I have to be up at 6.30 in the morning on weekdays. So since I need about seven and a half hours of sleep, my bedtime is 11 p.m. And so I always am checking in with myself sometime between 10 and 11 p.m. Does it look like I'm going to get in bed by my bedtime? Now, again, I'm adult. I don't have to stay, you know, I don't have to follow my bedtime. It's not like, you know, you're five years old and somebody's going to force you to be in bed with the lights out and start to... You don't assign your spouse to be like, I'm reading you a story and then no more glasses of water for you. It sounds nice, you know, (laughs) if somebody read me a story at night, but no, that does not in fact happen. But the idea is that it forces you to make an active choice. Like if you have a really good reason to stay up later, go for it. But if you don't, you may as well get in bed and have a target time for that to happen every night. It's not just happening because something's happening and you're going to scroll Twitter for an extra two hours that night to keep up with it. I want to focus before we move on on the idea of tracking your time. That might not be a concept that's familiar to people. What do you mean by tracking your time? So keeping track of where your time truly goes is one of the best ways to make sure that you are spending your time on things that you want to spend time on, right? Like if you, you know, people will say to me, well, I want to spend my time better. And what's the first thing I should do? I was like, well, figure out where it's going now. Because if you don't know where it's going now, how do you know if you're changing the right thing? It could be that something you've never thought of is taking more time than you realize, or it could be that things you thought were taking a ton of time just really aren't. I mean, you, you don't know and you can't make wise choices unless you have good data. And the only way to get that data is to actually keep track of your time. Which means you write down what you're doing by how long an increment. Yeah. I do this on a spreadsheet that has the days of the week across the top, Monday to Sunday, half hour blocks down the left-hand side, 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. I check in about three times a day. Only takes me about a minute each time. So we're talking three minutes a day, which turns out to be the same amount of time I spend brushing my teeth. So it's really not that onerous. You know, if anyone can brush their teeth, you could also do this. And, you know, just check in, write what I've done since the last time. Broad strokes, you know, if I'm working, I'll just say work, right? You know, sleep, get ready. Kids, there's a lot of like random kids time, which I'm chasing somebody around dealing with somebody's needs, right? You know, I don't need to try to dial in on it. This is when I got the glass of orange juice and then I changed the diaper and then I did this, right? You know, it's it's not like that. But when you do this, you can see where your time goes and, you know, you can see what space is available in 168 hours in a week. What time is devoted to things you enjoy? What time is not? And you can start asking what you can do about it. And you're still doing this. I mean, all these years later, you're still learning from doing this? I am still doing this. I was just with Laura in person and I was watching her log her time. And I said, oh, you still really do that? She's like, yeah, it doesn't take very long. And it... I got it. I got it. No, it's, uh, I, yeah, so this is going to make me sound like a bit of a, a time freak. But yes, I have been doing it since April of 2015. So we're at over seven years now. But it's actually, I don't measure things much anymore. I mean, I know roughly how many hours I work. I know roughly how many hours I sleep. I'm pretty good creature of habit for a lot of that stuff right now. It functions more as a diary. Like it's a journal that has recorded what has happened in my life. And so I can look back on any given week from, say, you know, September of 2017 and see like what happened that week. And when I see it all laid out, it actually conjures up memories in a far more detailed fashion because it's like you don't just see, oh, we went apple picking. It's like, okay, and right before that, we went to this restaurant. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. And the whole thing comes back. It makes it 
you know, memories accessible in a way that I just don't think they are in any other way. Now, if you're, you know, interested in making really cool pie charts and want to get the exact numbers, you probably are going to be better off with a time tracking app or just using certain keywords that Excel can then total up for you and also create the really cool pie charts. I kind of got over the pie charts after year one of doing this. It was year one was the pie charts, then I moved on. (laughs) I like pie charts. And there's also (laughs) an option to just do this for nine weeks and use it as an analytical tool for, you know, if it sounds intimidating, like, oh my God, my new life is going to be seven years of writing down everything I do to people. There is a, a sort of analytical version of this where you just do it to sort of figure out, okay, what's my starting line? Yeah, you could do it for one week. That's plenty. I mean, that's what I suggest people do. I, I run a challenge most Januaries where I have thousands of people follow along and we track our time together for a week in January. So if people, you know, want to look into doing that, you can. You can obviously do it on your own. Start whenever you want. Just keep going for a week. If you can't do a week, that's fine. I think you can actually get a lot of data from, say, two weekdays and one weekend, right? If you look at how you are spending your time over those three days. And here's an even little better trick to get started. Most of us actually have pretty good time recall of the previous 24 hours. Past that is entirely gone. (laughs) It's one of those weird things of the human brain, but you can remember about 24 hours. So you can start, you know, this morning, write down what you did yesterday, right? And then you can do today and wow, you already have two days of data. So that's a, a very easy way to make this start. Can we talk a little bit about the second rule, which is sort of, I think, sort of the opposite of this, which is now that you have this time tracking and you understand how your life usually goes to plan for what happens next? Yeah, to plan on Friday. So rule number two is to plan on Friday, which is really two things. One is just to plan. Like, let's get that first. Friday is a separate thing, although I can explain why I think Friday is a great time to do this. I think everybody needs a designated weekly planning time. Weekly, because we live our lives in weeks. Weeks are the unit of repeat in our life as a pattern, as a mathematician might refer to it. You know, if people say, well, I'm going to look at a typical day, what's a typical day? Is it Tuesday? Is it Saturday? I mean, they both occur just as often and have the same number of hours. So you need a unit of time that encompasses both Tuesday and Saturday. And a week will give you that. So a week is also, you know, a short enough time that you can pretty much see what's going to happen. Like there's not huge surprises coming in the next week, most likely that you don't know. Some you can deal with that. But, you know, mostly we know what the next week will look like. But it's enough that it gives you enough space to put in things that don't have to happen daily in order to be important in your life. So choose a time every week, recurring time to look at the next week and ask yourself, what would you like to have happen in your life? What is important to you? I suggest people plan in three categories, career, relationships, self. So what are the most important things for your career, however, whatever that looks like for you or, you know, volunteering, if you're doing that, that can work as well. Relationships. So family, friends, what's important there? And then self, obviously, what do you want to do for your own social, emotional, spiritual, you know, physical health, right? Anything in those categories that you want to do. So figure out what's important to have happen over the next week. Figure out where those things can go. Look at what you need to do in all these categories, things that are already on your calendar or need to get on there. Look to see if there are any problems in the upcoming week that you can solve by looking at it ahead of time. You know, things that are happening at the same time, things that can't both happen at the same time, you know, things that are going to require a lot of preparation and there's not a whole lot of time immediately before them to get the preparation done. Anything you want to solve like that, make sure you have something you are genuinely looking forward to over the next week, you know, and 
then go from there. But I find that by spending even just, you know, 20 minutes looking at the upcoming week, you can feel so much more calm about life, you know, that this is how we calm the chaos and make time for what matters. The reason for Friday is because for starters, most people aren't doing much of consequence, at least by Friday afternoon. People are sort of sliding into the weekend. Nobody else is, right. You've quiet quit your job after noon on Friday. So (laughs) you're done. It's hard to start anything new, but you might be willing to think about what future you should do. And so if you're just kind of biding the hours until it's acceptable to sign off, like repurpose it for, you know, very productive planning. You know, it's during business hours though, which is helpful if you need to set an appointment, get a meeting on the calendar with someone or anything else that has to be done during business hours. Like if you send an email to someone about meeting next week, you're more likely to get a response on Friday than you are Sunday night, which is another time a lot of people plan. But I think the biggest reason is that even people who really like their jobs and their lives can get this trepidation on Sunday night if they don't know what exactly is waiting for them on Monday morning. Like they know there's all this stuff, all these problems that have to be solved, but they don't know exactly how they're going to deal with it. And so if you don't have a plan, your brain keeps cycling through it, thinking about the possibilities. Whereas if you end Friday, knowing what you are going to do on Monday, you can relax more over the weekend because there is a plan in place. And so I think it helps people enjoy their weekends far more. That makes good sense, as my grandma would say. We're talking to Laura Vanderkam, author of Tranquility by Tuesday, and we'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So I have been taking my Nutrafol regularly and oh my goodness, it works. Friends, I'm here to say, ditto, it works. I mean, most of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. And yes, it's perfectly normal. But if you also see your part getting a little wider, join the over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your age, your lifestyle factors, because a one-size-fits-all approach to hair products isn't practical. 
Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth by targeting key root causes of thinning like stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LAUGHING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code laughing. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code laughing. Laura, I wanted to talk about, let's skip around a little bit because this rule sounds like it's for me. I want to hear about this. (laughs) An Amy rule. Creating a backup slot. Tell us about what that is like. Yeah. So one of the things I've come to see in life is that anyone can create a perfect schedule. It is the true time management masters who create a resilient schedule that allows them to keep moving forward on their goals, even when life doesn't go as planned. Because it's sort of amazing how many people, you know, are going through life and then they're like, wait, something happened. Something came up, something unexpected. And they can be little things. It can be big things, but they throw people off track. I mean, just as a, you know, sort of professional example, I see a lot, you know, people want to meet with their direct reports to give like celebratory feedback, things that are going right. But of course, that is never urgent. Like you can do that at any point. So you set a time, let's say Tuesday at 10 a.m. to give your direct report the celebratory feedback. And then, you know, there's a huge emergency at 9.30 a.m. and your biggest client has some you know disaster happening. You all need to deal with it. And of course, the meeting with your direct report gets bumped because it isn't urgent. But then it's like, well, it feels like it never happens. These things that we deem important never happen because life comes up. So if something is truly important to you, you need the equivalent of a rain date. So if you go to like outdoor party in summer, oftentimes they will have a rain date that, okay, we're going to have this picnic on Saturday afternoon. But if it is pouring on Saturday afternoon, the rain date is Sunday afternoon. And by setting a rain date, which is a time when you know it will be rescheduled and you know when, you vastly increase the chances of the original event happening, even if not at the time that you originally planned. So if something is important to you, you need to create a backup slot for it, the equivalent of a rain date. So you might meet with that employee on Friday if it isn't on Tuesday. And both of you know when you set the time for Tuesday that Friday is the backup slot and you know when. So you're not saying, well, is it going to be rescheduled and when? It will be. I did this once with, you know, that direct report known as one of my kids that I try to do these (laughs) mommy days every summer, you know, where I take my big kids at least somewhere that they can spend some one-on-one time with me for a day. And, you know, they often choose stuff like, amusement parks. But the problem with amusement parks is again, it might rain. You know, we, we plan to go to Hershey Park one day where there wound up being like a tornado warning for the area. So like we, we couldn't go, right? But had to create a backup slide and say, well, if this Saturday doesn't happen, I can see that you are not in camp this week. And Thursday is a pretty light day for me. I'm not going to put anything on Thursday that can't be canceled. And so if Saturday doesn't happen, if the weather doesn't cooperate on Saturday, we both know that Thursday is when it is getting rescheduled to. And it just allows people to know that these things that are important are still going to happen. So that's what I mean by creating a backup slot. If it's unwieldy to do this for everything, like just create more open space in general. One thing I try to do, I leave Fridays as open as possible. So that way, if something comes up during the week, it's got a spot to go or if something gets bumped during the week, you know, I can reschedule that thing for Friday. 
This ties into another rule that I was just talking about with my husband because it's it's this is my problem. I have the to-do list that has the last like six things on it. And every day I do the first six things and then those bottom six things move to the next day's to-do list. And they're just like, they're usually the things I least want to do or I have to call a doctor and talk to a human and figure out an appointment. It's just like, ah, uh, it's kind of the mammogram ends up down there. And it's like, ah, uh, it's never the most important thing of my day. Because those to-do things that are like not urgent, you know, we're good to set one designated time for them. Like we batch the little things is rule number eight. So I would suggest people take like 90 minutes on Friday for all those things. Instead of just having them on each day's to-do list, just go ahead and put them all at a time. Let's say, you know, afternoon on Friday again, we're not doing anything else. Take 90 minutes and crank through them. And then you can end the, you know, week feeling like you've done all this stuff and it's all crossed off and you are complete. But the effortful before effortless rule is more about fun things. So there's certain sorts of fun that require a little bit more effort than fun that does not require effort. So scrolling around on Twitter does not require any effort. You know, streaming various television shows doesn't usually require a whole lot of effort unless it's like a really intense like documentary you got to follow exactly but you know most screen time is pretty passive right that's why we do it whereas fun such as reading talking with friends doing hobbies doing crafts all those sorts of things are more active they require a little bit of effort and because they require effort people tend to do a lot less of them than the leisure that requires zero effort And the problem with that is that most people, if they are asked what they would like to spend more time doing, the effortful fun, like reading and hobbies and friends, is what rises to the top of the list. Most people don't say, I wish I had more time to be on Twitter. Like, this is not something people tend to say. <laughs> I wish I had more time to watch Love Island, which I don't even follow. Yeah, exactly. I, I wish that I could, yeah, I mean, get caught up on Selling Sunset, like if only I had the time. So, and these things tend to make us happier. Like people prefer reading to television. If you ask them in the middle of doing it, how happy they are, they're going to be more happier reading or doing hobbies or hanging out with friends or talking with friends at least than they are with the other things. So in order to make more space for the effortful fun, we just need to try to flip the automatic order where we always do the effortless fun first. So I challenge people to, if you're picking up your phone, Instead of going to one of the social media apps first or reading headlines, start reading an ebook for just like two to three minutes. That's it. Like you don't have to do it forever, but just go to that first, read a little bit, and then you can go for Twitter, you know, as long as you want on Twitter. Um, or at night, you've gotten the kids to bed. Instead of just automatically turning on the TV, go do a puzzle for 15 minutes. And then you can go turn on the TV and stream for the rest of the night. And one of two things happens. I mean, one is often the effortful fun is so pleasant that you just keep going with it because it turns out that your book is better than Twitter. And so you're going to keep reading the book, you know, and you feel satisfaction of doing the puzzle. You get into it. You keep going. But even if that doesn't happen, you've made more space in your life for the kinds of fun that people do tend to enjoy more. And so you don't feel like you're spending all your time on the effortless fun. You can, you know, read a chapter in War and Peace and then go watch Selling Sunset, you know, be the kind of person who does both. So this idea of tranquility, I'm just coming back to this. It's so interesting to me to explore that tranquility doesn't have to mean sort of passive acceptance of what life brings you and being at peace instead of trying to make things work. That in fact, intentionality can lead to more tranquility. Yeah. So 
I think tranquility, it's best to think about the synonym of serenity, right? Which I couldn't do that for because Saturday and Sunday, the two days of the week. So I guess the alliteration would be off because like, sure, I feel serene on Saturday anyway. (laughs) We all (laughs) do. We're doing it. Fun on Friday. Well, this is not a book. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) we're going to do that. We're already doing it. So the reason for tranquility and serenity and words like that, I had this image of them being like, you're off in a mountaintop retreat and nothing is going on. And that's one form of it. But when you think of other forms of it, something like the famous serenity prayer that recovering alcoholics pray, right? That, you know, grant me acceptance and and so on. And that, you know, courage to change the things I can. They're playing, praying for serenity, usually in a life where things are not going great, right? Like, it's not like all is calm and wonderful. There's often a lot of chaos and things that are, you know, crazy going on around, which is what has led to all this situation anyway. And I think that's more the thing that we can be serene. We can work to achieve a level of, you know, joy and sustainability and acceptance, even if life is, you know, complicated, even if life is occasionally chaotic, even if there are a ton of moving parts. Maybe the best image for this even, I love the idea of a circus. And the metaphor of a circus is one I use a lot. When people say life is a circus, they mean it's crazed. But that's wrong. Like, there are a lot of moving parts in a circus, but everything is orderly. Everything is orderly. Everything is going on exactly how it's supposed to be. People get exactly where they're supposed to be at the time they're supposed to be there in the right order. No one gets shot out of a cannon at the wrong time. If you ever look at the person being shot out of a cannon, they look very serene. So that's sort of how we can think of this. We are tranquil. And the result of a circus is to have fun, like to enjoy it. It's to be enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, it's have fun. It's enjoyable. Yeah. You know, even amidst this, this crazy stuff, there are systems for making it all work for if stuff goes wrong, there are systems to figure it out. You know, it's all good. This quote from the book really summed it up for me. The project of constructing a good life can be complicated. Making a more intentional effort in how people spend their time has made a big difference. And it's like, we're not saying it's going to be easy, but if you become the captain rather than just being on the raging river, your outcomes are going to be better. Oh, yeah. And you're going to feel better about life in general because, you know, yes, the river is rough, but you are directing the ship. You have a good sense of what's coming up. You're prepared for it. You are enjoying the moments where you can enjoy the moments. Uh, You know, it's still possible to have fun while doing this. We've been talking to Laura Vanderkam. Her new book is Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. Laura, tell our listeners all the different places they can find you and your work. Yeah, so you can come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com. It's just my name. Uh, you can find out information there about my books, including Tranquility by Tuesday and about my different podcasts and everything else that's going on. I blog three to four times a week. I really enjoy doing that. So you can get updates on various time management things, what's going on in my life. And I really enjoy interacting with people there. I still don't know how you do it, Laura. <laughs> I'm still not sure, but I'm a little more sure after this interview. Oh, well, you know, we just make it work. <laughs> We will put links to everywhere you can find Laura and her book on our show page. And Laura, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Laura. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. 
An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.